Thank you. Thank you so much, Andrea. Uh, back in April, uh, we began a five-part sermon series, a topical sermon series, and uh, it was entitled The Five Scales of Discipleship. Uh, the word scale can have many meanings, uh, but uh, in this context, by scale, I mean uh, size or level or magnitude. And so by five scales of discipleship, I'm referring to five practices or, or, or disciplines that differ by way of scale or size, uh, magnitude of operation. So then, uh, those first four scales, uh, which you may have been here for those, um, those that we have looked at already, uh, firstly, uh, meeting with God alone. Secondly, prayer partnerships, prayer triplets, uh, mentoring relationships, spiritual friendships. Thirdly, uh, the midweek, uh, cell group, home group, or Bible study. Fourth, uh, Sunday uh, or weekend public congregational church. Uh, as you uh, might know, uh, that sermon of uh, sorry, that series of sermons had to be suspended for a variety of reasons. But today, seven weeks later, we conclude this series with the fifth scale: engaging with the citywide and the global church. Um, this series of sermons has been offered in the realization that we, all of us, we tend to do some scales well and other scales badly. And that might differ between us, which ones we do well, which ones we do badly. Uh, also in uh, the conviction that we cannot expect Sunday morning church to tick all possible boxes and to scratch all possible itches and to meet needs that perhaps, uh, perhaps actually um, can only be met by, say, time spent alone with God uh, or a commitment to a small weeknight uh, home group or fellowship. Um, it is not uncommon for Christians to bring needs to Sunday morning church that Sunday morning church cannot meet. And so, uh, this series of sermons has been offered uh, in the knowledge that we must each attend to all four, sorry, all five scales if we are to grow as Christians. By way of a short refresher then, let's review briefly the first four scales. Firstly, meeting with God alone. Time spent with God alone every day. And I gave five reasons why this is important. Firstly, it's what Jesus did. Secondly, it's what Jesus teaches us to do. Thirdly, it's actually what we were made for. And therefore, it's what satisfies, fourthly. And of course, it's a daily reorientation, recalibration, refocusing, refixing our eyes upon the Lord. The second scale we looked at was prayer partnerships or prayer triplets, uh, mentoring relationships, spiritual friendships. Having at least one Christian friend, and maybe even two, with whom we can 
pray regularly, with whom we can discuss and share and say anything at all. Honesty, vulnerability, accountability. This is something to take seriously. This is an ideal to be aimed for. And we looked at some such friendships in the Bible, Ruth and Naomi, David and Jonathan, Jesus with Peter, James and John, Paul and his young friend, Timothy. The third scale of discipleship we looked at was the very great importance of home groups and Bible studies, midweek, home Fellowship groups. And the fourth scale was the very great importance of Sunday morning or weekend public congregational church. I argued that in some ways the home group is a better place for church than church. And I argued that church is in many ways a better expression of home group than home group. To be sure, the weeknight home fellowship group and weekend public congregational worship, they can actually both include precisely the same elements. To paraphrase Paul's words to the church in Colossae, letting the message of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in our hearts, devoting ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, singing, praising and worship, the, the Bible being read, taught, applied with wisdom, experience, knowledge, insight and responsibility. Prayers and petitions of all kinds being said, prayer ministry, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, the fruit of the Spirit in evidence, testimonies and prophecies, all that is encouraging to faith and virtue. Fellowship meals, hospitality, others being invited to come in and see. Money given and lent as needs be. Collections being taken up in response to particular need. Meals being made, resources being shared, and needs responded to by people who know the situation in detail. Guest speakers being invited in from time to time. Both home groups and weekend church can have all of those elements. The advantage of the home fellowship group is its intimacy and immediacy. Um, at home group, we know each other well. We've known each other for years. We know each other intimately. At church, we might know most people's names, and there might be some that we know very, very well indeed, but we don't necessarily know everybody. We don't necessarily know everybody's name. That's okay. So then at church, we forsake some of that immediacy, intimacy, spontaneity, and flexibility for the sake of advantage in specialization, differentiation, diversity, and excellence. And one of the ways in which that increasing specialization and differentiation and diversity excellence is manifest is in the ability of churches to set aside some 
for supported full-time service to the church. And so that leads us, after a quick refresher course, to the fifth scale, engaging with the wider church. That is to say, both the citywide and the global church. Now, when, of course, when I say church, and that word can rightly have many different meanings in different contexts, but when I say church in this context, I mean the assembled fellowship of believers in Jesus Christ, the congregation of the saints. And the New Testament seems to assume that actually there is only one church in each city. For example, the epistles are often addressed to the church of one city or another. For example, um, 1 Corinthians, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Or, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Or, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus in Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. And then there's the um, seven letters to the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation. Each letter addressed to a church in one of the seven cities of the ancient Roman province of Asia, which is to say modern-day Turkey. Uh, this could, of course, be simply an accident of history, a reflection of the fact that at that time the number of believers in each city was so small that only one fellowship of believers was, was uh, there because there was only one fellowship of believers needed. Perhaps it's an accident of history. But the spiritualized view that the book of Revelation offers us, that, that the seven cities each have one church, that the seven letters are each addressed to the angel of the church of the city. That the seven churches are symbolically represented, if we understand correctly, by seven lamps in Jesus' heavenly throne room. And that the seven angels of the seven churches are likewise present in, in that heavenly throne room before Jesus as seven stars. All of this reminds us of something that actually we already know from the Bible, that angelic beings tend to have territorial responsibility and authority as ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit uh, salvation. So then... Uh, even now, we might reasonably understand that there is one mighty angel standing guard over the church of the city of Perth. In all of her glorious and multicolored traditions, cultures, churchmanships, denominations, and congregations. Now, in actual fact, I'm sure it's a great deal more complex than that but we, are reason we have reasonable grounds for believing that that complexity includes that. Our business is necessarily the business also of angels. But the business of angels isn't necessarily any of our business. The Bible teaches us that it's complex, but beyond that, perhaps not a great deal is said.
So why might I be saying all of this? Well, for a start, it perhaps explains the just astonishing miracles which seem to always result when citywide fellowships of pastors and other Christians meet to pray for the welfare of the city. And that's so because the Bible understands that there is only one true church, and that church is the eternal and universal fellowship of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, a church not limited to or coextensive with any human tradition or, or denomination. Um, thus, even now, we are brothers and sisters in Christ with all who call on the name of the Lord near or far, past or future. One family looking forward to being one family together forever and ever at the perfection of all things. And so, therefore, the point for today, we do extremely well to remember that when it comes to discipling others and ourselves also being discipled, and that happens at church on a Sunday morning to be sure, and in other places and the church we belong to, but we need to remember that the church that we belong to actually is the church of Perth and the church of the world. All those in this city loved by God and called to be his people through faith in his son. And in another way, the true church we, we all belong to is the church of all believers, now and forever and everywhere, eternal and global, all those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be God's holy people. The, the purpose of church, we remember, is threefold, roughly. Firstly, the purpose of church is the public worship of God. Secondly, ministry to one another. And thirdly, to engage with Jesus' continuing work in the world through the Holy Spirit. As Jesus was to Israel, so are we to be to the world. So uh, when we think about uh, church at city level or globally, we can perhaps this morning think through some of the things that that might mean, what it might actually look like to engage with the church at that level. Um, perhaps we might start by remembering or thinking about the fact that individual churches as worshipping communities are to some degree all PLUs. Uh, what's a PLU? A PLU is a people like us club. To some degree that's unavoidable and not necessarily regrettable. It is fair and reasonable that, for example, some residents of Perth, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ here in Perth, they might choose to worship in an ethnically defined congregation because of their desire to worship and fellowship in their mother tongue. So then, for example, praise God for Mandarin-speaking fellowships here in Perth <clears throat> and French, Japanese, Spanish, Italian, Burmese, Farsi-speaking congregations here in Perth and many others like them. Praise God for that. But there are risks to that too, aren't there? Big risks. Uh, one such risk, um, as I understand it, is that home cultures can be intensified by such experiences. So that, for example, I know from uh, close 
friends and family uh, who are Uh, have been involved in the Dutch Reformed traditions. I know that after a generation or two um, of worshipping here in Dutch Reformed Christian churches here in Perth, they're actually more Dutch than the Dutch. And yet and nevertheless, it is not inappropriate that a church like St. Barnabas, situated where it is, is culturally middle class rather than culturally working class. We manifest routinely middle-class assumptions rather than working-class assumptions when it comes to expectations around manners, education, careers, finances, time management. And we will, naturally enough, tend to focus our evangelistic and outreach energy into reaching people like us. And that's not a bad thing inherently, as long as we don't make it the main thing. For the citywide church confronts us with the beautiful reality that Jesus' church, the pillar and foundation of truth, is not actually a people like us club. And that if we find ourselves intentionally or indeed uh, more toxically unintentionally excluding people because they are not like us, we are on a road to spiritual death through Christ's discipline, and censure. Uh, very early on, I, um, in my Christian walk, I spent a year at a <clears throat> place called uh, Regent College in Vancouver. Um, uh, for me at that time, one year of formal Bible study. Uh, a place in Canada that, that actually uh, Mike and uh, uh, Christian have, have also spent time at. And I am so grateful that at such a a young age in my spiritual development, one of the great catch cries of that institution was, the whole people of God need the whole people of God. A culture-defining slogan from 1 Corinthians 12. The whole people of God need the whole people of God. And so we read in our studies, we we read the works of many Christians from many different backgrounds, Roman Catholic authors on prayer and meditation, Orthodox authors, evangelicals and liberals on biblical studies and theology, etc., etc., etc. Earlier in the week, I was reading uh, um, a a sermon by a friend of mine, um, a man who, who mentors and disciples me, and I love his sermons. And one of the things he said in his sermon was that his, uh, a motto for him, a slogan, a, 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 a slogan for him is, any friend of Jesus is a friend of mine. I, I, I invite you to take that home and think about it because actually it is, it is more profound than you might guess on face value. Any friend of Jesus is a friend of mine. That's extraordinary. I, uh, uh, with that friend also, uh, we, um, I find myself sometimes in circles where the word evangelical is used to mean Christian. Someone might ask, how many evangelicals are in that city? Meaning, how many true Christians are in that place? And that really gets up my nose. And by the mercy of God, I pray that it gets up my nose because it gets up Christ's nose. For to imagine that the kingdom of God is coextensive 
with evangelicalism or indeed any other human created construct or institution would be a profoundly offensive idea to our God. Highly damaging to us and completely unbiblical. Ditto Catholicism. Uh, you might thinking I'm preaching on the doctrine of, of unity. I'm not. I'm preaching on the need to engage with the church citywide and globally. I'm assuming the doctrine of unity. We already have unity. The church is undivided. It's a reality. It's a truth. Jesus bought it for us on the cross by his blood. Uh, whenever, we, whenever we disregard that reality, we damage ourselves. But whenever we take it seriously, beautiful and extraordinary things happen. Uh, once when I was a curate at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek, uh, in outer suburban Melbourne, I had a conversation with a neighbor, and uh, that man mentioned uh, what he called uh, your competition down the road. I asked him what he meant by that phrase. It was mysterious to me. So I said, what do you mean, our competition down the road? And he told me that he was referring to the Baptist church down the road. But the Baptist church down the road were not our competition, and I told him so. We were on the same side. Arguably, we did have competition, but it wasn't the Baptists, nor the Catholics, nor the Presbyterians, nor the Pentecostals. You see, traditionally, your average Australian country town and Diamond Creek was an outer suburb, is an outer suburb of Melbourne, but it, in living memory, it was a country town. So your average country town in Australia, um, it typically has four, maybe five churches. The Roman Catholics, the Church of England, uh, now called by some Anglican, uh, the Uniting Church, Methodists and Presbyterians, and, and the Baptists. And from an Australian cultural perspective, Churchgoers going along to those four churches, they might have understood that they and they only were true members of the one right fellowship and indeed saved. And outsiders likewise might have believed that those four or five franchises were in competition, as my friend did on that day. But it's not true. There is only one true fellowship uh, in any town, the spiritual fellowship, eternal and universal, of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, thus, for example, if Providence Church decided to plant a congregation across the road from us in West Leadable Primary School, that might create practical difficulties for us to solve by way of cooperation and prayer, but they would not be in competition with us. Indeed, the more fires we light on this hill, the better. The more fires we light on this hill, the quicker we set it ablaze. So then, engaging with Christ's church in this city and globally reminds me that many call upon the name of the Lord who are culturally or even at times theologically very different to me. Citywide rallies, gatherings, conferences, uh, women's uh, conference, men's conference, Jesus, Jesus rallies, 
They are opportunities for the public worship of God with Christians who might not be of my ethnic group or my mother tongue. They might not be middle class. They might not be Protestant. They might not be evangelical. They might not even be Anglican. Prayer meetings in particular, whether they be prayer meetings of workmates in the workplace, Christians united by their love of Jesus, going to different churches, different denominations, or pastors from different churches, different denominations or whatever, prayer groups that engage with the issues of the city as representing the city are extremely powerful. Whenever we ignore the differences that might divide us as humans and celebrate the spiritual truth that we are one family because we believe in Jesus, I'm sure that the angels are celebrating. That, that finally we're taking the word of God seriously. That, that finally their hands are untied. That the spiritual tide has been turned. And that they can get on with the business of helping us expand, not the church, but the kingdom of heaven. And ministry to the global church. Uh, we've already been thinking about it a lot this morning. The support of the raising up of Christian leaders elsewhere in the world, support of evangelists and church planters, missionaries and mission organizations, as well as responding to the needs, especially the material needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world. This is, biblically speaking, a true part of what it means to be a Christian and to grow up into maturity in Christ. One final thought. Another way in which we engage with the global and universal church is through podcasts and kurong, so to speak. By which I mean, when we read and listen to Christians from far away in time or space, we are engaging with the ministry of the whole church to the whole church. Uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, John Calvin of Geneva, Charles Spurgeon of London. And notice, please, that I've chosen as my examples an African Roman Catholic, a French Protestant, and an English Baptist as my examples. Those three people continue to have active and important ministries today through their letters, commentaries, testimonies, and sermons, even though, human, humanly speaking, they have been dead for many centuries. In conclusion, then, over 12 weeks, we've spent five weeks looking at five different scales of discipleship. This series of sermons has been offered in the realization that all of us, including me, all of us, we tend to do some scales well and neglect others. I need to think, well, how can I do, how can I do more or engage more with that or with this? Also, the conviction that we cannot expect Sunday morning church to tick boxes and to scratch itches that it was not intended to scratch or tick. Uh, that indeed, that, that actually I, I might need to invest more energy in, in other scales and in the knowledge that we must therefore attend to all five scales if we are to continue to grow in maturity in Christ.
So then, one last time, five scales. Firstly, meeting with God alone. Time spent in prayer. Probably also Bible reading if you're literate and you can afford your own Bible. But time spent in prayer each day, every day, alone with your father, uh, secretly. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will bless you. Secondly, prayer partnerships, spiritual friendships, mentoring relationships. Thirdly, home groups and Bible studies. In some ways, a better expression of church than church. Fourth, Sunday or weekend public congregational church. In many ways, a better expression of home group than home group. Fifth, engaging with the citywide and global church, remembering that we are one family, one, one chosen people, one royal priesthood, one holy nation, God's special possession, that we may publicly declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light, and that we may minister to each other and to a broken world in the power of the Holy Spirit. Once, not a people, rather an unseemly and uncountable mess and mass of warring tribes and factions, but now, the people of God, now objects of mercy rather than objects of wrath. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the love of God be with you all now and forever. Amen.